I think uh, you make it possible by being there. And then it just happens, it's called life. I mean, every, everybody bruises itself or break a toe or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, nothing else could happen. I was not risking my life, so I was not cycling full speed, uh, trying to break my neck or my leg or whatever. So the only shit that could happen is run out of money, get it stolen, have to find a job, get ripped off or not. And eventually you just learn that doesn't matter. Learn to deal with the, the bullshit. And of course you don't, the bullshit doesn't exist anymore. It becomes a solution or experience. Yeah, live, live, live. That's one of the problems of the modern world and the modern human. We are so afraid of death, and that was not helped by COVID, that we forget to live. Live, live, embrace life. Shit happen, cool. Learn from it, keep on going. You are listening to chef and enlightened human being, Aklai Philippe in Sagada. My name is JP Alipio, and this is the Wildcast Podcast. The Wildcast Podcast. I would like to invite all of you to help support the production of the Wildcast Podcast by buying us a coffee. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Buy us two coffees, three, five, ten. All of those coffees will keep us caffeinated and keep us going, creating this content, talking to all of these amazing individuals and sharing their stories with all of you. So go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Hey, Wildcast listeners, this is your host, JP Alipio, and we're back with another episode of the Wildcast podcast. And in line with our travel theme uh, over the past month with uh, Paco and Kiddo in the last episode, I am bringing you in this episode this amazing human being, this man that really... I feel has broken conventional norms. He's he's basically walked away or cycled away from what would be conventional life, uh, especially as uh, someone who was from France, uh, Western country. Of quite often, it's not that easy to just let go, to leave behind an entire life, an entire career. It's really a different way of looking at things. He's been my friend for a while now. We went on a hike over the last month. And I mean, it's just amazing just seeing him being constantly amazed at the environment around him, slowing down, speeding up as we talk about the his life basically for he has lived his life more in uh, other countries and actually more in the Philippines than his native home of France. This is Aklai Philippe, a uh, celebrated chef, French chef in Sagada. He's once cooked for the royal family of, uh, of Brunei. Um, he cycled across Asia from from France all the way to Iran and crossed the Himalayas twice. Um, this was in a time when most of these areas were rough roads and dirt and travel wasn't as easy as it is today. And um, it's really a different perspective. He talks about just leaving everything behind. And I don't know how many of us can do that. Like how, 
I I don't know if I can do that. Just to leave uh, leave everything behind, my family, my home, um, and uh, just start a new life. Just exploring the world, basically, going out with open eyes, no matter what fuckery happens to you, and just moving forward. And that's really what Aklay has been over the last uh, 20, 30 years. It's just constantly moving forward no matter what the fuck-ups happen. And, you know, over 30 years of travel, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that have happened and we talk about it in this episode of the podcast. And uh, I won't spoil it for you. This is a long episode, so, so you know, you can listen to it while you're driving or traveling. It's a great travel story. For Aklay from France to the Philippines to Sagada. And here we go. This is the life of Aklay Philippe. Chef and world traveler. Enlightened, really. Enlightened human being. Alright, so welcome Aklay. Uh, Aklay Philippe to the Wildcast Podcast. And uh, thank you for um, coming on board and sharing your story with us. So how are you? I'm fine, a bit rusty, but I'm fine <laughs> in the voice. You're sort of a sort of a well-known uh, eccentric person on earth, <laughs> I would say. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, with a with a really compelling story, actually. So um, maybe first off, before anything, uh, for the listeners of the Wildcasters. Not a lot of a lot of people know who you are, but a lot of people also don't know who you are. So maybe just a brief introduction. Um, we know you're French. You cycled all the way from France to the Philippines. You're a chef. Um, so who is Aklay? Uh, okay, who is Aklay? Well, Aklay only exists in um, in Sagada. Before that, there was no Aklay. There was only a Philippe. So as you say, I left France in '92. By bicycle, crossed Europe, Middle East, Asia, China, Southeast Asia, and finished here by choice of life. And not bad. <laughs> and yes, I'm a cook since 1980. I've also been a pastry chef, a butcher, a dishwasher, a garlic peeler. Oh. And yeah, that's it. So you've gone through quite quite a lot in your life. Yeah, I had one, two, three <laughs> life already. <laughs> And um uh, like as a young boy which part of France did you did I you I am born and raised in a farm uh about 17 kilometers from Germany and 30 kilometers from Switzerland so mm-hmm. it's a corner of France northeast Uh-huh and as a young boy was it something that you always thought of doing like you know exploration running away, running running away, away yes. yeah running away yes uh exploring yes and the rest life yeah. Oh, okay. Five minutes. And was it a was it a conscious choice to become a chef? Yes. yes. Why? 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 Why cooking? Why was it cooking that you actually thought of doing? Because at a young age, as I say, I'm raised in a farm. I had a sister who was always with my mother in the kitchen, and I was with my father in the garden, and I wanted to be comfortable. So I understood very early that kitchen is safe, warm. There's always food. Sounds good to me. And Better how than mosquitoes? <laughs> how was your childhood as a as a young boy? Happy, it? happy, 
Happy, happy. In a farm, living in a farm, was it? Raising a farm, climbing tree, jumping from the roof. Uh, so this is not a city, like, you know, it's not Paris or... No, no, no. Or, no, you know, the bigger uh, cities of France. Yeah, it's small. Oh. Small town. Your, your, your town in France was... Um, was it closer to Switzerland, was it? Switzerland, Germany. And, yeah. It's called a three-corner place. It's everything within a half hour. So would you say you're you're more Swiss or more German or uh, my grandfather was German. Okay. All right. So but I work in Germany, I work in Switzerland, I speak the language, I learn French and uh, German at the same time because my grandfather could not speak French. So you're a child of sort of many cultures uh, at least yep. in in the European sense of yes. the world. Yes. And uh do you think this helped you in sort of starting off when running away maybe i wouldn't know possible but no idea and do you, do you still have family in france now uh not much <laughs> not much you're you're still in touch with anybody um, back home or uh, well my dad passed away uh 2011 mm-hmm. uh, i have no contact with my mother uh, i have contact with one of my sister I have two siblings I never seen because they are born after I left. Okay. So it's kind of a broken up, dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I ran away to. And when did you start, um, you know, your cycle touring? When was it? Back in France, I was always active. So I was snowboarding, monoskiing, hiking, and eventually I went into mountain bike. Mm -hmm. But that was before uh, suspension. Yeah, so it was a rigid fork. Yeah, rigid. Rigid rigid, everything, small wheels. That's how I started. All downhill. Yeah, yeah. Hard tires and everything. eh? That's (laughs) how I started. And how did that sort of progress into, um, you know, uh, getting in from from bike touring to, uh, from mountain biking to bike touring? How did that? progress exactly well in early 90s I I was fed up of France I wanted to try something else and I I did some thinking and how do I go where do I go so if you look at France if you go north it's cold if you go south it's Africa not so sure if you go west it's the sea bicycle cannot swim so east was the, the direction and then I had to decide how bicycle horse Horse was my first choice. But horse? Yeah, horse. Oh, wow. Because I used to horse ride. Okay. And uh, But horse is a problem. Every border, you need quarantine. Right. So, bicycle. Okay. And what, what bike was this? My first bike was, uh, ooh, I don't remember, but hardtail, hard front, uh, nothing, just my ass and my legs and my legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I went into a front suspension. At the time, it was rubber. Okay, yeah, like an elastomer. Yeah, elastomer. Yeah. And then even... All right. Um, and, um, you know, learning to be a chef, you... I mean, we've talked about this before, and maybe you can expound a little bit on, you know, your your journey as a chef uh, in France. Okay, well, I started three years in a cooking school in France, uh, which was about... 22 hours per week in the kitchen and 21 hours in the class. So it was more cooking than mm-hmm. anything else. And uh, three months a year, I would have what you call here OGT. Okay. So like in a hotel training, or a yes, restaurant. Or hotel or one. The, choose, the, the school would choose where. And if you don't finish it, you're fired. 
Oh. So you have to finish the OGT. Okay. You cannot complain, you cannot whine, you cannot... Uh, every year it's a different place. And the second year I went to a place in the Alps where uh, I just kind of fall in love with the place, the restaurant, and I was there for 10 years. Wow, 10 years. And that's where I left my bicycle 10 years after. What made you leave? Like, uh, you know, it would Fed up of the bullshit. Okay. And I was not learning anymore. Okay. So, if so I don't learn, it's just like that. That's something that's important to you, I suppose. Learning. Constantly learning. Yes, yes. Um, from what, you know, what little I know of you, you're always sort of reading, you're learning about environment, yeah. learning about yeah. Part of life, uh, culture. I, for me, if that was not there, there's just like no, not much left. Yeah. And, and when you started exploring, did you have a plan? Like, did you... Did no you plan, no plan. That's one of the reasons when I left, I was alone. Because my friend asked me, where you go? I don't know. How long? I don't know. What you will do? I don't know. When you come back? I don't know. That's why I left alone. Everybody thought I was crazy. Yeah, that's that's like... No uh, plan, just yeah. go. I mean, did you just like follow the compass, head east? <laughs> east, just east. Just east, just east. east. that's just it. East. Like, east. Um, I knew the first five, six thousand kilometers. Okay. I spoke the language. I spoke Italian. I spoke Greek. I spoke Turkish. You spoke Greek as well? Yes. Oh. When I left France, I spoke six languages. Oh, wow. Really? And, uh, and how did you learn all of this? Living in countries. Okay. So six months in Italy, one year in Turkey. Uh, so you, you learn the language. And, uh, and then I learned English when I entered Iran. Oh, you only learned English outside of Europe? Yes. Okay. Yeah, before wow. that, I speak well Spanish, Italian, uh, German. Uh, okay. So, so, what was the first destination when you, you know, moved east? What was the first destination when you started cycling east? Uh, Italy. Italy. Because oh. at the time I was living in the Alps. All right. So okay. Just yeah, Italy. Forty-eight hours. I was in Italy. All right. All right. Yeah. And. Was there like a significant experience in this first, you know, the first, you know, the first, the first cycle out is always the most difficult, you know, the start, start out and maybe you're not so fit, you get fitter along the way. Yeah, well, I was always half fit because I always moved. Uh, when I left by bicycle, I knew how to cycle already. I just never did it with, uh, with luggage. Yeah. Did you have panniers or? Yeah, panniers at the back, panniers in the front and, uh. And did you ever weigh it? Like how much weight did you used to bring? Uh, when I left, I had 30 kilo and I reached 35 when you have to add one week food. Yeah. You go up. Yeah. 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 So, so from Italy, what was the next destination from there? Do you remember? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, Wait, what year was this? 92. 92. Um, okay. And there was the Balkan war at the time. Right. So I could not go to Yugoslavia. I had to take the boat from Italy to Greece because mm -hmm. it was all closed there at yeah, war. Yeah. Well, my, you asked before, my journey east was dictated by wars. There was war in the Balkans, there was war in Afghanistan, there was war in the Middle East, the mm -hmm. Iraq war at the time, yep, Kuwait yep. and all. Afghanistan so I, was the Russia-Afghanistan yep. war. So I could not go too much south here, I could not go too much north there, so I, I sneaked between, between the wars. war country. Yeah. So it was really. So I like finished East, East, East because no choice. Yeah. yeah. But it was really like um, dictated by faith, sort of. You know? Somewhat, yeah. Uh, life. I mean, life. Uh, life. What, what are the conditions around me and this yep. is where I'll go? Yep. There wasn't a real plan. Did you ever think, like, I mean, you probably had to work somewhere along the way, right? Um, yeah, well, I work in every country because when you arrive somewhere and you. I mean, the first few questions are always the same where you come from? Are you married? How many children? Where you go? What's your job? 
And as soon as I say French and chef, they put me in the kitchen and they say cook for us. Ah. So, so that that really helps because yep. the French are actually known for their cooking. Yes, they do. And as a chef, and I didn't know, but it's so. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good cook. So, did you always have a job everywhere? Yes. And and what was the first place you stopped at and worked after you started cycling? Was it Italy? Was it uh, Greece? The, no, long term Malaysia. Okay, but but like you had to stop before somewhere. Before that, I had money. Before that, I had money. Oh, before that, you had money. Well, I left France with uh, 5,000 US about. Okay. So that lasted me almost two years. All right. So what was the budget like for for something like this? It depends what country. I mean, China, $100 a month, you were fine. India, $50 a month, you were fine. Mm. Uh, the more you get away from Europe, the cheaper it gets. Oh, okay. So, I don't yeah. know if that's still applicable today, though. $50, $100 double, a month. Double, double, $200, $300. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With inflation and But everything. But then by bicycle, you don't pay transportation. I was sleeping half the time outside. We don't pay. Cooking my own food. It's all cheap, cheap. Yeah. And you never thought about, like, you know, personal risk at this time. I mean, you were passing through... No. Um, too young and too stupid, I would say. But you, you were... Be ne you've never been outside of Europe uh, no. when you started no. this, right? No. So you were... But I was traveling five, six months a year already at the time. Around so Europe? Only in Europe. Yeah. Because I didn't have a passport. Right, right, uh, right. My right. first passport is when I took my bicycle. Okay. Before that, everything was hitchhiking in Europe. Ah, all right. And uh, as a as a European, as a as a French guy who's never been outside, was it? We never been outside. I, was I, I mean, sorry, I never been outside of Fra of yeah. Europe. Uh, was it something that that excited you? You weren't scared at all of of going east towards Asia. I mean, there's always stories for. For, no, no, you know, no, no especially fear. No, fear. No, fear. no fear, no fear, no fear. Young is stupid. Plain stupid, young and stupid. Yes, <laughs> yes. agreed. Honestly, yes. I do remember that uh, when I was. Uh, how old were you at the time? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay, not not so young. No, but still stupid. Uh, not so young. <laughs> and um, you you mentioned Iran, and you've mentioned this a lot before. How was Iran? A lot of people sort of look at Iran as this terrorist country and, and you've traveled I know friends who have gone to Iran and they always say that the people there are some of the nicest people on earth agreed yeah. uh, well it was the first time I left Europe it was the first time I stepped into a place I don't know mm -hmm. so it was a bit of a question let's say not very a question but The border was a bit slow to cross because they only open one hour in the morning, one hour afternoon, so you have to wait. One wait. hour in the morning, yeah. one hour in the afternoon. Yeah, so you wait, okay. you blah, blah. And uh, they look everything because they, they, want con they don't want contraband, they don't want alcohol, they, so they open everything. Uh, they find an oil ointment I had for muscle. So the question, they open, they smell, uh, can you drink it? I say, no, 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 it's for the skin and all. So. And then as soon as I enter Iran, it's everybody is friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, the first stuff I learn is they laugh at you. Because they say, in Europe, when you go to the toilet, you use toilet paper, so mm -hmm. you wipe your ass. Yeah. We use water, we wash, so we are clean, you are dirty. So. That, yeah. That's true for most of Asia. I haven't used toilet paper ever since. So. <laughs> I've been on water ever since. So. All cool. S since Iran? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Was it a conscious choice to go towards Iran rather than, let's say, India or... Um, well, after Iran, there's Pakistan India. Oh, that's right. You have okay, to cross okay. the Middle East. Have, okay, okay. So yeah. it was closed. 
Northwest Georgia at war. Right. So it was uh, really the only option for you at the time. Yes, Russia was closed at the time. Yeah. So yeah, and I was how, dictated by. How long did it take you from leaving France to get to to Iran? At the time? Well, I left France on the 21 September. I was in Tehran for my birthday on the 31 October. Okay, that so was that's pretty quick. Seven weeks. Whatever. Oh, not not bad. No? Yep. And, uh, and this I was is in New Delhi for Christmas. This was a few boat rides in. No, there is no sea. Okay, except Italy to Greece. Okay, that's okay. overnight. And there, you never had any problems like crossing borders aside from Iran. Uh, uh, well, uh, depending on what country you go, some country don't have uh, how you call that diplomatic relation. Mm-hmm. So you cannot buy a visa in some country for the country after. Okay. So you have to ask the visa the country before. All right. Uh, when I hit Istanbul in Turkey, asked for the visa in Iran, saying I passed by bicycle, I had to negotiate a bit because they gave me three days. Uh, Iran is 2.6 thousand kilometers to cross, east to west, or west to east, sorry. Uh, in three days by bicycle, not possible. Yeah. So I whined a bit, they gave me five days, I said, no, still not possible. So, okay, show us your bicycle. So I had to load the bicycle, go back to the embassy, show them, I had ah, okay, we'll give you two weeks. Which, okay. which was still so-so, but then I extended by two weeks. So, all right. And Fine. how much research did you have to do prior to get the, going on this trip? Did you just like go, or did you do no, any I, uh, research? No, I did some research. I had some maps. Okay. For Iran, I had a map in Arabic, which oh. helped. Okay. I could not read it, but the local people could. All right. Which wow. is useful. <laughs> All right, so so when you started from Europe, you already knew Iran was uh, one of your targets to go through. Yes. Okay. Because the only place I could go. One and of my idea was to go south and help in the rebuilding of war, Kuwait, Iraq. Mm-hmm. But I was not Muslim, and he was still at war when I passed there, so close. So this was in 92, right? 92. 92. Yeah. Okay. And crossing Iran, what was the experience like? Just, you know, plodding through kilometers uh, of, of paved road. Was it dirt road? Was it paved road? Was beautiful road because they have petrol. Uh, up to Tehran. Uh, Asphalt, beautiful. In Tehran, I went to the embassy to check my mail. And by accident, it was my birthday. Oh. Which I didn't remember, but they reminded me. So I got invited for whiskey, I mean, cognac, <laughs> a meal. Then uh, I think it was the accounting department who invited me in their house. I stayed there five days. Uh, they invited me in a restaurant. And all. all cool. Oh. But that's when you pass in place where they don't see tourists. So okay. when they see one, they're just... Happy, happy. And did they ever invite you into their homes, like uh, some yep. random yes, Iranians? Yes. Uh, all my trip from France to Sagada, average one third of the night in the bush outside, mm-hmm. one third of the night in hotel or whatever, and one third with it, the native. Oh, people's homes. Ah, yes. Nice, nice. And was there ever a time where you felt you were in danger uh, during this period of cycling? No. Uh, in Iran, somebody stole my glasses, but that that happened. Uh, in Pakistan, uh, some local people told me, "Please don't go there. Take the bus." Mm-hmm. So I just listened to them. I took the bus. Okay. Why so was it? That I was losing my stupid, I guess, at that time. Yeah. Why was it that they they told you not to go there? Well, later I learned that's where Osama bin Laden was. Okay. So All right. They told me hey, don't cycle through bus through. Okay, I took the bus. And nice. the bus driver so happy to see why they gave me everything, food. Uh, really? Yeah. 
Well, that's white privilege. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Traveler's privilege. I think traveler. Well, I'm not sure if a brown Filipino would have gotten the same treatment. Maybe with I a nice bike. Know. Honestly, I wouldn't. Know. <laughs> yeah, so. Bicycle, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and but you, you know Bambi, right? Yeah, Bambi. Yeah, Bambi yeah, traveled course. a lot. He never had any problem. Maybe that's true. Filipinos, that's true. No? Bambi has also traveled a lot, and he's so, never had any problems. Yeah, and. Crossing Iran, you cross the Himalayas. You you said you crossed it twice. Like it's from okay. When I hit Pakistan, yeah, it was November because I was in Delhi for uh, Christmas, and I wanted to do Himalaya. I was I like mountain. I wanted to see it, visit it, cross it, but Himalaya is only open May to October. Mm-hmm. I was there in November. I had to wait until the snows uh, the, the snow melt in yeah. uh, April May the year after. So I went to India. So. How was how was that crossing the Himalayas on a bike? The roads uh, then were not paved, right? The roads were not paved at the time. Uh, well, I did basically Islamabad, which is the capital of uh, Pakistan, to Kashgar, mm. which is the biggest big town in uh, West China, Muslim China. And uh, famous, going from Pakistan to Kashgar was ten thousand kilometers. Was it easy to cross the borders at the time? Or? You need a visa to China. Yes, yeah. and uh, after that, I wanted to go to Tibet. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was illegal to go to Tibet yeah. by bicycle. So to play safe, I had a double entry for uh, Pakistan. In case I fuck okay. up in China, I can come back. And, uh, well, it served me well. Oh, so so from Kashgar, you went back to Pakistan? No, from Kashgar, I tried to... I find an old road passing around the K2 going back to Pakistan. Oh, okay. But I got lost, I ran out of water, and I learned later it was not open. Oh, so I came back the same way. Oh, okay. <laughs> and how was that? Like that experience of getting lost in, you know, like a foreign country in the middle of the mountains. Well, at the time area. in China, it was a bit strange because I hit Kashgar, uh, one of the biggest market. It's always been now. like a Silk Road yeah, yes. uh, passage. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but in Kashgar, I had problem with my bicycle and need a new tire. Mm-hmm. But in Kashgar, at the time, you could not buy. Uh, spare part. Mm. You could buy a new bicycle or nothing. Okay. So I ran out of tires. As a fair kid, I come back to to Pakistan. And you took a bus or what? How did no, you? No, I cycle, cycle. With a with a broken tire? Or? No, I had only I had only one spare. Okay. So when right. this one gave up, well, I needed another one. There is none. Come back. Okay. All right. So you cycled back to Pakistan yeah. and on a different road. So I did a loop on the Himalaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, beautiful. So six months. It took me six months back and forth. Six months. Yes. From the uh, 10,000 Islamabad, kilometers. Yeah, Islamabad, Kashgar, roaming around back to Islamabad. Oh. Took me six months. Wow. And how? Uh, on the way to China, I followed the Afghan border because uh-huh. Afghanistan was closed at the time. Northern Afghanistan. All I of it. All of it. So I followed the Afghan border from uh, Iran. There's a road that follows the Afghan border. Uh, yeah, within 50, 100 kilometers. Ah, okay. That's why I saw all the refugees. They all invited me to their country. They said, beautiful. I said, yes, but when the war is over, Af- it's, it's still closed. <laughs> yeah, Afghani refugees. Yes. yes. So I went up to China and on the way back, I followed the Indian border. Okay. So I did a loop. You know. And what parts of India um, did you go to? Well, I, there is only one border crossing, which is Lahore. Uh, so I crossed that one. Uh, in Pakistan, you have to apply for uh, Indian visa. And that takes you 10 open days. So you spend two weeks in Islamabad just waiting for your uh, for your visa. 
So I went to Lahore, India, I finished in Delhi, uh, and then I went south because north was snow, snow, snow. And how was Pakistan? Like a lot of people also... Beautiful. Oh, I yeah. wanted to... I like it so much. I wanted to finish my life there, uh, like getting old and uh, retiring, and that's where I want to finish. Really? Because mountain and nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, nice. Saga, then I find Sagada. <laughs> <laughs> and people were friendly in Pakistan. Yes, yes. That was all before Taliban. All right, before right. 92, uh, yeah. Yes. Young, yeah. And what made you sort of not stay? What was it that was it like? You no, my idea was to retire eventually in Pakistan. Oh, eventually was still, to go back. Uh, yeah, to go back still late twenties there. So. Okay, all right. But then I find something else. Southeast Asia, Borneo. And what parts of India did you did you go into? Well, from Pakistan, Lahore up to Delhi, and then I went south into the the big desert there. I forget the name. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever there is, Ajmer, Pushkar, Jaisalmer. Yeah. That's all desert, desert, desert. The Punjab desert. And how was your experience in India? Was it... Um uh, India is, was, I think still is, overcrowded. You cannot be alone. That's cannot, true, yeah. And uh, that's something I had problem with. But that's just me. It's not them. It's me. When yeah, yeah, yeah. I this don't like it, being surrounded always, always. I like being alone sometimes. Right, and, right. This is more of like a Westerner's... Thing. You know, most of Asia yeah. is always, you know, there's always people around you. Like in yeah, the Philippines, you can be alone. Sagada. Yeah. When we went to Takpio, we were oh, alone. Yeah, of yes. course, of course. But in the villages, it's always, you know, it's, yes. it's yeah, yeah. impossible it, to be alone. It's yeah. impossible to be alone. You know, you're always with somebody. There's if you have always, to be alone, you have to hide. Yeah. yeah. There's always someone next door coming to your door, yeah. knocking. Or I mean, in India, you find a place, there's nobody, you fall asleep. The next day, while you brush your teeth, you got 10 people around you. Yeah? <laughs> That's normal. And. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, are there any places in India that were sort of notable for you while, while you were cycling through it? Notable in what way? Oh, I don't know. Um, was it uh, for the people, for the environment? Uh, the I mean, some places are crowded, some places are wild. I mean, you got kilometer and kilometer of nothing. So, uh, desert, sand. Uh, some places, they never see a cyclist. Mm -hmm. So, when I was asking for direction, people were laughing. Ah, look where he's going. They, well, uh, and then I understood it was a big climb. You know, whatever, that's adventure. And from India, what what was the next like from India? Well, then I went back to Pakistan to cross the Himalaya. Okay. In the summer. Ah, and f where did you go, Nepal or? Is it? No, uh, Pakistan. Oh, through Pakistan. I came back to Pakistan and did uh, the Himalayas yes, of of yep, Pakistan. Yep. Okay. But there, there is a there's a kind of shit happen because after my visa for India was six months it's the same price than one month so was the, was oh, the yeah. point but after five months uh, I don't know why I think it's moisture heat me pushing it too much I lost two pieces of skin on my ass so I could not sit on my bicycle anymore oh shit uh, I could not sit on a chair uh, when I sleep, I my butt in the air uh, yeah, just yeah. to dry the stuff. So I stop. I forget. Look, no, whatever that was. For ten days in the hotel, sleeping on my belly with the ass in the air, trying to fix that. And then it was still not okay. So I took the bus to the next destination. Mm. And uh, when I was in the bus, somebody steal everything I had. I lost my passport, my camera, all my photo. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> blah blah blah. And uh, by the time I have insurance. Okay. 
So I got repatriated back to France. It took me three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Where I just, because of the insurance, everything was paid back. Yeah. Even more, my traveler check were given back. Mm-hmm. But more, I lost one five. I got what, one seven back or shit like that. Uh, my camera was paid back and uh, everything at the bill was paid back. So I took that money and worked a bit and, and left again after one year. Ah, okay. And then so I flew to Pakistan mm-hmm. and started where I stopped uh, the ah, year before. Okay. Just to kind of... So at that time, I decided also that next time shit happened like that, I'm not going back. Really? No, I was just not disgusted, but... Were you afraid that it would trap you? Back no, in, no, no, no. In, in fact, comfort. I would rather be trapped, or I decided at the time I would rather be trapped anywhere than go back to France. Why is this? Why? Well, I ran away from France. When I left France, in my head, in my heart, I, it was already decided I don't want to come back. So having to come back the first time because there is an idiot who steal everything, mm-hmm. or a poor guy, I don't know who did it, in fact. Uh, I was just not happy. I said, okay, next time something happened, I stay. Is it because... You hated being French? You hated the no, system? No, no, it's just, uh, as I say, I travel for 10 years in Europe, or no, nine years, every year, five months, six months, doing average 10,000 kilometers a year in hitchhiking. And what I discover is everywhere I go, you can find happy people. Because when I come back in France, nobody smiles, everybody makes a long face. Mm-hmm. So fuck that, yeah. Get me out of here. Ah, that's a, that's a nice insight. So I left. So Plus, I had no attachment. At the time, already I had no family. I, I was never married, no children. So I could. Right. So I did. Right. Did you ever feel lonely throughout this? You know, the, the, you were already traveling for no, what, two years, no, three years no, at this time. No, no. Never. Never. Uh, you reach low, you reach high, yeah. but... It sort I of balances disco- it out. I yes. Guess, yeah. And uh, I learned along the way that when you reach a certain low, you cannot go lower. Everything can only get better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well. Do you ever meet any, like, new loves along the way? Take them a few kilometers and then... Yes, I have. Uh, yeah, I had some girlfriend along the way. I live with a few, a few women here and there. Uh, but never enough for me to stay or get married or settle or whatever. This is during the cycling trip? Yes. Really? And, and was it in different countries? Yes, or? Was it all? Was it um, the first one was in Turkey, so not very far. Okay, well, not yeah. You didn't get so far, (laughs) (laughs) and it was easy. It was easy for you to like disengage and and yeah, because it was never long. Ah, well, if it was long, it was there because I was there one year or eight months for working. Okay, and then well, my my life goes on. Have a good day, but that was said. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was never a secret or a right, right. So it was I laid didn't out. Dump anybody. Yeah. It was yeah. It was laid out that it at some point out. you were yes. you were going to move on. You were yep. going to cycle away. Yep. And I never dumped the bicycle for a lady. <laughs> you never dumped the bicycle for a lady. <laughs> One way to say it. <laughs> you ever get in touch with any of those ladies after you know so many years? Some of them, yeah. Really, yeah. after like now here in Sagada. Yeah, one in Malaysia, a few in the Philippines. Uh, All right. Nice. <laughs> none, in, none in the West. Yeah. And from Pakistan, you you cycled through China, was it? Yeah, I went to China, then came back to Pakistan. And then my idea was to go back to India because it was October by the time yeah. I, had, I had to move out of Himalaya. But that was uh, October 
And as I was applying for the Indian visa, as I said, you have to wait 10 open days. So that's about two weeks. Eh? Uh, India closed because they had a pest epidemic. So I waited one week, waited two weeks, waited three weeks. But the pest epidemic in India, you never know how long it lasts. It can be three months. or. Uh, so I decided to fly over. To? Over India and go somewhere. Oh, where did you head, head uh, to? So Nepal was not possible because it was winter. I would have been blocked also. I try. Uh, I went to the embassy of uh, Myanmar. Okay. It was still close at the time, right? Who told me blankly that if I fly in with the bicycle, they're going to confiscate the bicycle. So I said, okay, not for me. So the next country was Thailand. So I landed in Bangkok. Yeah, I did uh, Islamabad, Bangkok. Okay. And I finished in Asia, not being prepared. Hello, it's me, and that's fine. And from Bangkok, you... Did you cycle around like Vietnam, you know, the the triangle or no? Uh, okay, from, uh, well, I landed in uh, Bangkok with no idea, no plan. But France was not famous, but we had Indochina, we were the colonizers. Yeah, Vietnam, right? Yeah, I mean, Vietnam, Laos, yeah, Cambodia, yeah. that was all Indochina. So I decided, okay, let's go there. They speak French or some of them. Mm. But that was, again, end of 95. And I don't know if you remember, but the Khmer Rouge at the time, they beheaded three Westerners. Oh. So the border closed. So when I went to the embassy in Bangkok for Cambodia and Vietnam, they gave me the visa. I paid for it. At the time, it was $60, so not cheap. But when I hit the border, I said, no, no, we are closed because of that. So again, I had no choice, but north is closed, east is closed, west is closed. Ah. out. So you, you're really sort of, the, the travels that you've done have really been dictated by conflict. Politics, conflict, uh, that kind of shit. That's Open really border, close border, so life, karma, fate, whatever yeah. you call it. Shit it, happen. It's like you're constantly sort of but that's leaving yourself you open to, to, to fate, you know, to getting lost but not lost. Yeah, really. but that's, I think that's normal on long travel. Because that's true, you, yeah. you cannot fight against a closed border. You cannot fight against a pest epidemic. You cannot fight against a war. You can wait or you go somewhere else. Well, since by bicycle, it's overland. I just go somewhere else. And honestly, I don't care if I go east or south or north. I just wanted to cycle and see the world. And how, I like, that's not a very common trait for a lot of people. Like, I know a lot of adventure people, a lot of our friends here. Mm-hmm. Are adventure people and they will not go anywhere without knowing where they're going you know they're, they're not gonna head out like you've I've seen you head out into the mountains just randomly and just pick a pick a path and, yeah, and pick a and, mountain and, yeah. and climb it yeah. pick a mountain and climb it and that's not common you know it's not like I a, know, I wouldn't know. Um, well at least in, in the circles that I run in okay. which are people who already go outdoors a lot but it's possible. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely possible. It's um, and so far I survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, yesterday that's what I did. Like I, I had a plan in my head. I was going to go to to Gaia um, through Kanipau, and then when I hit the mountains in the back of the house, I just started following random trails and and found like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. This is nice. And and then just just decided, okay, I'm just gonna gonna do this the whole morning and. And I found out that, you know, it's like getting lost but not lost. Yeah. Unprepared adventure, still adventure. Yeah, yeah. And and it's really sort of just surrendering yourself to that, you know, like Yeah. In some ways. And, and some people don't have that I, I don't know, like 
I don't know a lot of people who will surrender to getting lost. You know, like it's like one of the most beautiful stuff you can do in your life, and that's when you discover beautiful stuff also. Oh, definitely, definitely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So, I go. mean, there just like yesterday, that and was. And once you know it, just yeah. Go, yeah. Yesterday, that was exactly what happened. I I walked into the forest with a plan, and then decided I don't want to have a plan, <laughs> and started just walking around randomly, and found some like beautiful spots. You know, beautiful spots I didn't. No, actually existed uh, just behind the house. So, um, so that's something. And so, from Thailand, you went down to Malaysia. Yep. And in Malaysia, you stayed. No, no, hold on. I was in Bangkok, and uh, so first I went to the border of Burma, which I knew was closed. Okay. And uh, that's where the there's a famous movie that was filmed there, the River Kwai Bridge. Okay, or right, right. Bridge over the River Kwai. Yes, yeah. so I went there. Then these uh, three pagoda pass. I went there. Then I came back and I followed the border up to uh, oh, up to north. That was uh, Lao at the time. I think my sword, my song, but it was closed. So you could enter the country only daytime, but you had to drop your passport at the border. So just to visit or to oh, buy. Yeah. And uh, then you pick up the passport on your way yes, out. Yes, and you pick up because you ten dollar or two. Yeah. And then I followed the Mekong, and uh, I forget where after after Chiang Mai I went to Chiang Rai, which is beautiful. That's all mountain. That's all yeah. like Zagreb. Nor- northern people. northern part of Thailand. Yes. Yeah. And in Chiang Mai, the problem is the bicycles. So I I find a bicycle shop, ask them to change all my spoke. And okay, come back tomorrow. I went back tomorrow. They they show me my rim. It was so thin. It was the original rim for France. Oh, because it was a rim break. Yes, it was so thin you could see through. Whoa! I had no idea. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And you were carrying like 30 kilos yeah, of well, 30, load. Yeah, 35 sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> wow. So it was about to break, but yeah. it didn't break. So I said, okay, I have to buy one, but I could not buy one there. So I rent a motorbike, uh, drove to Chiang Mai. Mm discovered that the only bike shop there at the time was closed that day for holiday. <laughs> I would like to invite all of you to help support the production of the Wildcast podcast by buying us a coffee. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Buy us two coffees, three, five, ten. All of those coffees will keep us caffeinated and keep us going, creating this content talking to all of these amazing individuals and sharing their stories with all of you so go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee sorry so cycle back to uh motorbike back to Chiang Rai spend a few days there and then I cycle slowly to Chiang Mai back mm-hmm. and bought a new wheel that's when I decided to come back that's my cat and then I cycle south, and that's when I the plan was to go Laos, Vietnam. I had my visa already, but it was closed. Mm-hmm. So well, I follow the sea. I discover south of Bangkok is beautiful, or was at the yeah, time. I've never been. You have uh, at the time they had uh, kind of like Holland windmills. Oh, okay. Surrounded by uh, salt, uh, salt drying uh, yeah. salt flat. Yeah. Nice. And then following the coast up to Koh Samui and all. There is no tourist there. I was the only white guy. Really? Yeah. 
This was in 92. There were 95, tourists. 95. Oh, 95, okay. Along that, between Bangkok and Koh Samui, there is no tourist. Okay. Nobody speaks English. And then I, I hit Koh Samui uh, the last three weeks of uh, Okopangang at the time. Because it's three islands there. Koh Samui, Koh Pangang, Koh Tao. Koh Samui is mass tourism. Koh Pangang is a uh, backpacker. Mm. And Koh Tao was for divers. But every time smaller, smaller, smaller. So I decided to spend three weeks there, finish my visa for Thailand. And uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I did all the three islands, Koh Samui, just one night. Koh Paranga was two weeks, Koh Tao one week. Uh, did some diving, uh, snorkeling, blah, blah. Uh, and then I took the bicycle and went south to Malaysia. And you, when you got to Malaysia, you... S- You worked there, right? You okay, wait, that's a bit later because I, in Malaysia, I still had a bit of money. Let's say, uh, I know, five, six hundred dollars. So All right. Plenty. Yeah. <laughs> so I well, finished. at the time, that was plenty. Yes. Twenty-five <laughs> years ago. Yeah. So I, my first big stop was uh, Penang, mm-hmm. which is famous, made for tourists, yep. good food, uh, backpacker. And talk to some people and everybody say, go to Sumatra, go to Sumatra, go to Sumatra. There used to be a high-speed, uh, what do you call that, hydrofoil. Okay. Uh, going from Penang to Medan mm-hmm. in five hours or four and a half hours for thousand pesos whatever at the time. So uh, free visa for two months. So just jump in the boat and go. So I did that. I spent two months in uh, in Sumatra, crossed it east to west and north to south. Volcano everywhere, beautiful. Mm-hmm. There is a Lake Toba. Which is a bit like Sagada. Sagada was around the lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, same people, kind of. Sort know. of s- similar mountain people. Yes, yeah, similar mountain people. Yeah. Head hunter, yeah. uh, rice terraces, dog eater, uh, yeah. blah blah. Uh, people are like. Yeah. <laughs> people with a character, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. And balls. <laughs> and still <laughs> use them. And uh, so I spent five weeks there. I got invited to teach in a restaurant. But uh, the people knew more than me. So I was wondering why they hired me. Because so, you're a French chef. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't learning nothing. They were just, they wanted to be, to have a kind of advertisement sign in the restaurant. Okay. We have a French chef. Right, But right. without learning. So anyway, I was there three weeks and then I went to uh, the west coast of North Sumatra. That's where you have all those islands, Simelu, uh, uh, was that uh, Pulau Banyak? Pulau mm. is island, Banyak is mini. Uh, I was tourist number seven there. Tourist number seven? Yes, because they, everybody registered. I was oh, tourist wow. number seven. That's how many people were there at the time. Uh, we rented a boat for one week going from island to island. We didn't see anybody but turtle, shark, manta ray. Uh, he was diving eight hours a day. Snorkeling. Wow. Beautiful. No tourists, no shark. Nice. Then I cycled across uh, the central ridge of uh, Sumatra. Then some of the mangrove, and then I took the boat to Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that's where I decided, okay, I have to find a job, because when I hit Singapore, I was down to $200 on the net. No. And then, Singapore's not a cheap place to have $200. No. Uh, and at the time, we had only two weeks visa. So I looked for a job. I had the idea there to go. Uh, there was a chef association, mm-hmm. professional chef association. So I went there, talked to the guy who was a German uh, And the guy explained, don't waste your time here. They are too strict. If you find a job uh, illegal or not, they're going to catch you. Go to Malaysia, more easy. 
So I said, okay, so after two weeks in Singapore, I went to Malaysia. So following the coast, I did Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, which is 570 kilometers. I did that in two and a half days by bicycle, mm -hmm. which is pretty good with 30 kilo luggage yeah, that's pretty along good. the coast. Uh, that's when I broke my record because for a long time I could not cycle more than 120, 130 kilometers a day. And then one day I did 250. Wow. Like, wow, it's possible. So, yeah. And I hit Kuala Lumpur and uh, look for a job one week, look for a job two weeks. Uh, and the third week is like, okay, I have no more money, nothing to do. So I call my sister, send me money for a plane ticket. I'm blocked. No job, no money. I'm not going to mm -hmm. prostitute myself. So let's go back to France, find a job and start again. And that day, somebody hired me. And that was the Sultan of uh, Telangana. The Sultan of Telangana. Which is the other side that's uh, East Coast The Sultan Coast, Malaysia. there is like uh, a king of a certain area, right? Like well, uh, Malaysia is a federal state. There is like 14 different states. Mm. And that's 13 uh, Sultan and one king. And uh, one of them had a five-star hotel. He hired me as pastry chef. How did he find you? No, I find him. Uh, I look in the newspaper. They, okay, uh, they were right, looking yeah. for uh, a pastry chef. So I went there, got the job, uh, and I finished in a restaurant with 220-something workers, only three people who could speak English. Wow. So you so, had to learn So Malaysia. I learned Malay very fast. Yeah. Uh, Malay is very easy to learn, so oh. I learned fast, and it was interesting because of that. Uh, you learned a lot of languages very quickly, it seems. like. Uh, well, when you're alone... And you have to... You have no you, choice, right? You have no choice, you yeah. learn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Pakistan, I learned Urdu in six days because nobody speaks English. You learned Urdu in six days? Yes. Well, in six days, I could say food, hungry, sleep, shelter, water. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's enough, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, but uh, I have no choice. <laughs> and when you apply for the jobs, do you show like a diploma? I, I was traveling with my diploma. Oh, you were traveling with your yes. diploma. I mean, I knew I would look for a job, so okay. better be prepared. Uh, I was wondering because... Did you just say like, oh, I'm a French chef, and no, then no, they make you diploma, diploma, <laughs> and a CV? Okay, all right, all right, okay, okay. And how was that? Like the job that you had in in Malaysia? Uh, people were more interested in disturbing me than learning. <coughs> Typical. Uh, at the time, there was a law in Malaysia: you are not allowed to open a bank account to put your salary as a foreigner. Say, as a foreigner, until you have a working visa. So the the administration in the hotel uh, on day one they took my passport to work on the visa and uh, then something happened there after I think I was there nine months so after seven and a half eight months one day I took uh, I mean I was cycling every day going to town whatever and one day I took my bicycle but somebody had unscrewed the, the handlebar uh -huh. so by jumping uh, like a, a walkway 10 centimeters tall my handlebar turned I fall on my hand, I broke my wrist. So, and I got mad. Because it was not an accident, it was a... Yeah, it was deliberate. Deliberate, yeah. yes. Because they didn't like me. I was not from there, I was not Muslim and blah, blah. And uh, so that day they said, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, while all that happened, the nine months, because I was paid, but I could not uh, open a bank account. So you had cash, basically. No, I... I I decided to play smart, but you will see later, it's not that smart. I decided the hotel to ask the hotel management to keep my money in the safe box, in the safety, uh, whatever, of, okay. the, of the hotel. So they kept my salary. 
and after nine months, wrist healed, I'm out of here. I asked for my nine months, they said there is nothing. What? So I got fucked, basically. Then I said, okay, I want my passport back. And they give me my passport, but they never work on the visa. The pass my passport was in a drawer for nine months. So I was illegal, oh, fuck. with no money, quitting. <laughs> but you, you lived there in nine months, what, like, with no money? They they weren't giving you any money? Or no, I had my salary, but I decided let's, at the time I was making 2,000 ringgit. A month. Oh, so you would put away so most I would, of it. I would take 500 and put one five in, yeah, uh, yeah. in the safety box for when I travel later. Right, right. Because I was fed, accommodation, yeah. uh, no alcohol in Brunei, whatever, so cheap. So when they give me my passport, but nine months expire visa, it's like, hey, <laughs> what I'm supposed to do? Plus, I work for a sultan. Right. So I look like an idiot, but you look like an idiot too, so basically. So come back this afternoon. So I came back in the afternoon, then they give me back my visa, uh, my passport, with a stamp, 24 hours to leave the country. Holy crap! <laughs> It's like, we stole your money, now get away. Yeah, now piss off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I said, fuck, fuck, fuck. My wrist was still painful. Kuala uh, Terengganu is 200 kilometers from the border to Thailand. Mm. So cycling that with a painful wrist, fuck it. So I took a taxi, mm -hmm. went to the border, crossed the border, slept one night in uh, in Thailand, and then came back to Malaysia, obviously pissed off. Mm. And the guy at the border, he... But I could speak Malay. That's one of the beauty. I spent nine months. Yeah, so you could speak Malay, the language. I learned right. Malay. I was fluent in Malay then. So I could talk, explain, and the guy at the border, he could see I, had, uh, I was not happy, pissed off. So he asked me what happened. So I explained to him that, well, I work for the Sultan and he ripped me off and I'm fed up, just give me one week, I go back to France, fuck you all, kind of. Yeah. He said, no, no, my country is nice, he, he give me three months for free. Wow. So okay. I said, yeah, now let's take my time. <laughs> But you had no money. <laughs> uh, I had like thousand ringgit. Or okay, all right, so you had some money. <laughs> I could live one month or three yeah, weeks. Or yeah. So I decided to cross Malaysia from Teranganu to West Coast. At the time, there was no road. He was across jungle, following logging camp. Mm -hmm. No concrete, mud until here. Sometimes you cannot cycle. You have to carry, push, and whatever. And I finished in Cameron Island, which is a hill station like Sagara, but, or, ba or Baguio, but... Ah, uh, Cameron Island. Yeah, right. By the time, small. Uh, and it's not pine forest. It's mossy forest. Mm -hmm. It's the tea plantation area. Tea right? plantation yeah. and uh, mossy forest. And... Uh, And when I arrived there, I knew nothing, of course, not prepared. Uh, so I asked around, okay, what's the best guest house? And they told me, go there. Mm -hmm. And the place was called Father Guest House. And uh, so I finished there, and within one week, I was in the kitchen cooking breakfast for everybody, and I was there, what, 13 months? 13 months, Mon okay. Making money How? illegally, uh, crossing the border every two months to get a new visa. And every time I would cross a different border because there are six different borders okay. between Malaysia and Thailand. I tried them all. Uh, there is some national park. Did you cross them all by bike on yes, this time? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, South Thailand is some beautiful national park mm -hmm. where nobody ever goes. Well, I visited them all. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Oh, nice. And so after 13 months, I had enough money to say, okay, now I hit Borneo. So, so now you kept the money. You didn't... Yes. Have them keep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kept the money, but then it's not safe. Neither, yeah, you can get yeah, stolen. Yeah, of course, yeah, that's... which happened, by the way. But, <laughs> but I may need to burn you. Yeah, yeah. 
So so you went to Borneo and I know you you started working for the Sultan of Brunei as well. Okay, so, so well Borneo I landed in Kuchin which is south. Yeah. Uh Sarawak. Uh, the border, they say, because they saw me with all the luggage, basically, adventure. I say, yes, adventure. <laughs> yeah, I think they're a bit more used to it in that part of the world, maybe, yeah. in Borneo. So, I cycled uh, to the most southern possible place. I forget the name. On the way, visiting all national parks, mm-hmm. some place. And you can see tourists for, I mean, white tourists for years and years. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. alone. Beautiful. Wild. Did you go to Mulu? Was it? No, that's north. That's, that's north. north. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've been and, to Mulu. Uh, yes. So, but Borneo is uh, Sarawak, Brunei, and Sabah on the west coast, and all the east coast is uh, Indonesia, Kalimantan. Yeah. So I wanted to see Kalimantan. So across Kuchin, there is only one road going to Kalimantan. So I went there. There you hit the uh, a big river. I forget the name. Mm-hmm. I decided to follow the river as north possible. So I went one week, two weeks, three weeks. I finished on a single track, uh, no more village, and I crashed by bicycle. Oh. And uh, I right angle bended my front wheel. Oh crap! Uh, in the crash, uh, four hours from the first village. So you had to push the bike? So I tried to bend it back. Of, of course, it yeah. broke in two. So I had two half wheel <laughs> in the front. So I had 30 kilo luggage, one wheel. I could not carry it too heavy. Yeah, yeah. It was pissing rain, thunder left and right, lightning, uh, water up to half my, half my leg. Uh, I knew it was four hours to the next village. Uh, hard to push with only one wheel. So you yeah, of course. You have to lift it up and... Yeah. Yeah. So I was swearing to everything I could swear, the thunder, the whatever. And finally, made it to a village, but everybody was running away. Because I was looking like a anito or a spirit yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It was so, the first foreigner maybe yes. in, in a long so time. So I, that's where my Malay, one of those places where my Malay helped a lot. Because I just told him, no, I'm not a, a spirit. I'm a foreigner by bicycle. I had an accident. I need help. Mm. And then they turned over, invited me for uh, in the house. I took a shower. I eat. And the next day, I asked them if I could buy a wheel there. I said, no, you're crazy. It's like three days by boat to the first bicycle shop. Mm-hmm. But the first boat, it, I forget, maybe one boat a week, whatever. I had to wait. So I wait for the boat. And on day two, there was a wedding. Okay. So I got invited to the wedding. I was the only outsider huh? where everybody put all their effort into getting me drunk. Whoa. Of course. <laughs> so I finished with a huge hangover and uh, lying on the floor uh, <laughs> in an ugly state. But, uh, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> was this uh, like a long house? or? Yes. It was a long house. A long yeah. house. And then I took the boat. Uh, it took us three days to hit uh, the first village where there was a bicycle shop. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sleep on the boat. Uh, How was big was the boat? Was it? We were about 20, 25 on it. Okay, yeah, so, so it was a pretty big boat. Yeah, Yeah, but it was wild enough that you could have cobra crossing the, the river in the front of you. Wow. Snakes. Uh, they were catching fish big like that for lunch. And, uh, so it was, it was sort of like a real rainforest river. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. And the only transportation was by boat. Mm. And that's how everything came in. Uh, trading, uh, so in the boat, there was 20, 24 people and three pigs, 20 chicken, uh, whatever. Wow. Nice. 
And then I finished in the village. I brought the only wheeled head, which was Lucky. cheap. Which was <laughs> cheap. $50 or something like that. Okay. But cheap, but crap. Yeah, yeah. So I understood and decided I cannot go rock and roll with that wheel. Yeah. The wheel will break. So, and because I put all my money in the wheel, I was kind of starting to be broke again. So, okay. Cycle back to Malaysia, to Sarawak, mm-hmm. and then go to Brunei. Because when I was in Cameron Island, I met a couple of teachers from New Zealand, I think, who were, uh, my cat again, who were uh, teaching in, in, in uh, Brunei. Mm-hmm. And I knew already I would finish there, passing by. Yeah. So they gave me the address, telling me, okay, if you come, pass by, you can stay here. So, of course, I finished there. And when I arrived there, that was after three months in uh, Borneo, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked me what I want to do. I said, well, I had a problem. I had to buy spare parts. Now I'm broke. I'm looking for a job. And uh, the husband, he, New Zealand had no embassy in uh, Brunei at the time. So the embassy was Australia, which is common. And he said, okay, uh, you look for a job, pastry chef, cook. Uh, so I will ask at the meeting tonight. And one of the managers of uh, one of the palace of the royal family in Brunei was there. They were looking for a pastry chef. Again, serendipitous. eh? So it was all right place, right time, right contact. So within 18 days, I had my visa, my apartment, my job, a driver, a Mercedes. Wow. uh, And I was working for the royal family. Paid well? Paid the same salary I would have had in Switzerland. Really? Yeah. In Br- well, it's Brunei, of Brunei, course. Yeah. All, all, all expenses paid. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I say I don't want the driver, I don't want the Mercedes. I was going to work by bicycle. Uh, yeah, and I was there one year. Oh, okay. And how was that? Like, how was it cooking for the king of Brunei? Was uh, very interesting because it's one of the only or few places in the world where budget is not a topic. Uh-huh. So it gives you uh, opportunity to do stuff that... You cannot go anywhere. So if really, like, like for instance, what's an example of uh, something well, that you did? Well, one of the cake, they wanted a thousand rows on it, but there is no thousand rows in Brunei. It's a small country, so you send the airplane to Singapore and they wow. bring you a thousand rows back just <laughs> for one cake. Wow! And there was twenty-five cake that day. So ah, okay. Another one is you want the cake covered with gold. So well, you buy a half kilo of gold and a half kilo of gold. Yeah, put the fucking stuff on the cake. Yeah, with the, that kind of stuff. Wow! Which would not be possible anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Maybe Saudi Arabia. Yeah, maybe those yeah. places. <laughs> and I was uh, also at the same time. I was also in charge of. Uh, so I was cooking for, not the sultan for the royal family. So I was cooking for the mistresses of the sultan, mm. the wife, the legal and the illegal wife, the, their children, uh, when they had guests coming, so that would be Prince Charles, uh, uh, there was some tennis world champion uh, at the time who would visit because they were good friends, they would cook for them, some sultan or whatever from Malaysia, Saudi, Kuwait, I mm-hmm. would cook for them, so, but never knowing for who I cook. Oh, okay. It, all, it would only be told to me for who I cooked after they left, for mm-hmm. security reasons. Okay. And oh. for the same security reason, I never met the Sultan in person. I never shake his hand. I never but you've seen him, like you were at a function. No, no, never. Never, never. Never, never, never close by, for security. Ah, okay. Never so, in the same room. So you were always just in the kitchen? Yes, or in the guest houses or whatever. Did you ever travel with them? or? No, I did travel, but they would call me at two in the morning and say, oh, we are leaving in three hours, we want 100 croissants and two cakes. So I would cycle to the palace and... Wow. 
yeah, organize your stuff. That's uh, that's sort of a really unique experience. I don't think yes, a lot of yeah. people would have had that. You know. No, and it's uh, unique also as a professional chef. Yeah, a also professional yeah. pastry chef. Yeah, to be working for the king of Brunei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very uh, interesting. And you decided to leave this cushy job. Uh, uh, they if I, I could have stayed there for life. Yeah. On a very decent salary, but I still had the bicycle. You still had that lust for adventure. Yes, for and bicycle. And I keep on going with my yeah. travel. And, uh, so after one year, I said, no, no, I'm fine. I make the money. Thank you. And I left. Mm. And that's when another shit happened. Because after saying bye-bye, you're gonna, at that time, I brought a new bicycle in uh, in, uh, in Brunei because my old one was 38,000 kilometers, like rusty, broken. Yeah. I had to change the wheel, the gears. I forget. I buy a new one. So I brought a new one. At the time, it was a uh, full suspender. Mm. A full suspension for for touring? Yes, front and back. Okay. Which means you cannot put a carrier at the back. Yeah, yeah. A long letter you can, but you have to kind of organize yourself. So I decided to make a, a trailer. Okay. Uh, so I brought a BMX. Okay. Dump the front wheel, bend the front fork, so, he, so the fork land on my rear axe. Okay. So I had uh, half a BMX at the back with, with the luggage load. on it yeah, and yeah. Uh, water okay. bottle and all. So, you know, got it. And uh, I give back the key of my apartment. I say bye-bye. Cycle to the border. And at the border, I say, no, no, you cannot cross. Because there is a law in Brunei. If you work for the royal family, you have to leave by airplane. You cannot leave overland. Why is that? Why? It's a law. Okay, it's I just... think it was at the time when Brunei was half of Borneo for safety. Okay, so you don't you don't just walk out. Yes, yeah, so I told him, hey, I came by bicycle. Can I leave my bicycle? No, you have to fly out. And at the time, I wanted to do in Borneo what I do in Sagada, which is just go around, explore, climb every mountain, uh, mm-hmm. record bird, uh, whatever. And they don't let me cross. And that was six hours before uh, my visa expired. Six hours before a visa. I mean, let's say my visa expired tonight. I was there at 10 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Then I go back to the immigration, blah, blah. No, you cannot. So I went back to the border, pick up my bicycle, took a taxi, go to the airport. And uh, that was almost dark. And I had books and notes and everything for Bordeaux. So, okay, I dump everything there because too heavy for the... For the plane. For the plane. And the only airplane that was not back to Europe or Japan was Manila. So, well, I finished in Manila with no information, no idea. <laughs> I in Manila at 11 at night, I think May or June, there was a typhoon, you couldn't cycle, raining. there was water until here. <laughs> but I knew about Palawan. So I took the first boat to Palawan, which was three days after, and I finished two and a half years in Palawan. Wow. And this... Uh, so, I, yeah, life goes yeah. on like that. Did you, I often wonder, You actually, don't choose, life chooses for it, you. You... All of these sort of fuck ups that keep happening, yeah. is it? It's part of life. Is it fuck ups that keep happening, or is it because you've been traveling so much that it's just part of that random cycle that happens? Like if it is I, random cycle. It's part of life. Yeah. It's also what I was asking for. I think. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Obviously. Otherwise, I would have taken a ticket and back to France and fuck all that shit. But yeah, right. I didn't. I said right. continue. So you you kept sort of. Being hard, hard-headed and, and hard-headed. yeah, yeah. And co- and continuing, you know, yes. like, and I could many people after that experience of you know, 
people cheating you out of a year's One time, pay. two years, three years. Just yeah. Fucking, yeah. yeah, they just go back to their yeah. home country yeah. and, no, you I know. Keep on going, keep on going. Uh, you, you just like, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to keep on going. Yes. I'm just going to go to the next border, yeah, yeah. come go back. To, go to the next fuck up. <laughs> yeah, go to the next fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh... I know your Palawan story is also as interesting as as the past one. So another fuck up. So. Yeah, another fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you keep asking for all of these these things That's to happen. Adventure. That's adventure. Yeah, yeah. Is that like you ask for it, but it just sort of randomly keeps happening to you? I think uh, you make it possible by being there, and then it just happens. It's called life. Yeah. I mean, every everybody bruises itself or break a toe or whatever. Or But it's also sort of a similar problem every time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, nothing else could happen. I was not risking my life, yeah. so I was not cycling full speed, uh, trying to break my neck or my leg or whatever. So the only shit that could happen is run out of money, get it stolen, have to find a job, get ripped off or not. And eventually you just learn that doesn't matter. What matters is being alive, learning, experience, keep on going. Not that bad. Yeah, not together. that bad. And in Palawan, your Palawan journey sort of is sort of the point, like an inflection point into coming to Sagada, right? Like uh, that was one of it those. It was a stepping stone. It was a stepping stone. Stepping stone. So maybe you can tell us about what happened in Palawan. Okay, so when I hit Palawan, uh, well, I didn't knew much, but I knew Palawan, and it was obvious because I landed by boat in uh, Puerto Princesa uh, that all the tourists go north. Yeah, El Nido, El Nido, and Tai Tai, yeah, uh, the underground yeah, river, and yeah. all. So I say, I'm going south. Okay. Yeah, of course. I don't want to go where. Yeah, of the course. The tourist here. I want You're to the uh, antithesis yeah, to south. tourism. And going south, I discovered that there is no tourist. At the end of the road, there is no hotel, no accommodation. Nobody speaks English. There is no electricity. There is no cold beer. But if you're on adventure, oh yes. So I finish. Uh, in the jungle resort, the only jungle resort at the time in Quezon. Mm -hmm. And the owner at the time, it was uh, it was a place called Tumabong Falls, which is the widest waterfall in Palawan. Okay. And uh, the guy had the only jungle resort and I had money from Brunei, I had time, money, don't give a shit, enjoy the place. And the guy was organizing treks, hikes into the Taut Batu which are the IPs who live around the Mount Montalingaran, which is the highest in Palawan, 2084, I think. So I joined one hike, uh, I joined two hikes, then I started guiding. Uh, so not cooking, you started guiding. Yeah, guiding and cooking. Because the first hike, I was invited to join. I said, yes, Aklai, do you want to join... Uh, us climbing uh, the highest mountain in Palawan, I say yes. It was a bunch of five scientists, I think two German, two British, one Swiss, who wanted to climb Mount Engerhan because they were sure they would be able to find a new species of pitcher plant. Okay. Nepenthes. And uh, I said, okay, can I join? Yes. On the first night, the guy discovered that they were all a bunch of idiots. So he wanted as little interaction with them as possible. I say, yeah, I can help. I cook for them. I say, yes, you cook for them, half price. I say, okay, cool. So I finished by cooking for those guys, paying only half price of my hike, uh -huh. uh, which was nine days at the time. Mm -hmm. so oh, a long, yeah. it's a long hike. Yes. Uh, 
and enjoying it. And then I just keep on repeating, repeating, but I was not paying anymore. I was getting paid. Mm -hmm. So eventually I was organizing hike and trek uh, in South Palawan. We crossed the island east-west twice. I mean, one time I did it alone, one time with those five scientists who did find a new uh, species. Uh, Nepenthes, Montalinga, Nenzis, whatever, something oh, okay. like that. So you're part of history. I just had fun in the jungle. And eventually, somewhat, somewhere, I met somebody who was looking for, uh, in Puerto Princesa, who was looking for an F&B manager. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, take the job, see how it goes here. And uh, within one month, to play safe, I had my money in the safety box of the hotel, with my passport. And one day I was told it's all gone. In the safety box. It's just like, what, what, what? Yeah. So, well, that's why I finished in Sagada. <laughs> <laughs> so because I lost everything, <gasps> because there is some idiot who play with my shit, mm -hmm. and uh, there is nothing I could do about it. So when, when, how do you get to Sagada from Palawan? Like, Well, okay, when I discovered that everything was gone, I still had some pocket money, I had like what? Five hundred dollar, whatever. Okay. So I took my bicycle, my trailer at the time, took the boat back to Manila. In Manila, I tried to fix home. I went to see the embassy. I went to see the cops. Mm -hmm. Told them my story. I got ripped off by a hotel owner. Who was again? Swiss. Like, who, you you Swiss, got ripped off Swiss, again? Swiss, not Filipino. Oh, you're Swiss. Swiss. You were Swiss, the, the oh. hotel owner. Oh. So a white man, Swiss and French. So I got fucked by my own white people and my own compatriot, whatever. Uh, and when I asked them, they said, sorry, cannot help. Interestingly, both embassy and uh, the cops told me the same stuff. Uh, you look healthy, find a job. Okay. I said, okay, I can do that. But I don't, I didn't want to find a job in Manila. I don't like big cities. Yeah. And of course, after two, two and a half years in Philippines, I heard about Sagada. Mm-hmm. Mountain. What uh, year was this? Um, 99, 2000. 99. I came here 2000. Okay. But the shit happened 99. All right. And uh, so I finished in Manila in November 99, uh, November 2000. Discovered it was all fucked. So took my bicycle. It took me nine days to cycle to Sagada. Okay. But I left some shit in Manila. I just came here to see how it looks like. Uh -huh. To see if I could find a job, uh, settle, whatever. And love the place, so I, I cycled so Manila, Sagada in nine days. Spend here, arrive here 28. That time it was still a dirt road, right? Coming, yes. Coming yes, here, it yes. was, I mean, and after, was, after Benguet, it was all dirt. Yes, and there was no tourists in Sagada. It was only travelers. Yeah. Backpacker, yeah. whatever. And uh, so I ate Sagada, I liked it. But I had to go back to, to, to Manila. Manila to pick up my stuff and finish some paperwork. So I decided to go via Kalinga, Tabuk, Santiago. So I do a loop. Back to Manila. Back to Manila. But doing wow, a loop that across is a the long Cordillera. way around. Beautiful cycling. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that, that was at I the time, it was a dirt road. Yes, I had a trailer. Yeah. I was overloaded, but I enjoyed it so much. Like, yeah. That, great, that was a time. nice route. I've, I've cycled that route. Yep. And I think I cycled it in 2001 or something mm. like that. And... It was already. It was a beautiful route. No traffic. No traffic. Dirt, dirt road. road. Nice, uh, nice, it nice. Could, it could get really muddy at some points, yeah. but yeah, that was a nice, Fine, yeah, nice, 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 nice. So I finished in Manila and uh, fix up some stuff, pick up the rest of my my shit. Decided to take the bus to Baguio. 
Because okay. I cycle already, Manila Baguio right. one time. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> I mean, just going. I mean, one of the stuff I don't like by bicycle is going out of big cities. Yeah, that's that's so hard. Bangkok yeah. was a nightmare. Delhi was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Manila, same. Yeah. So traffic pollution. Uh, it's all highway. You cannot go on highway. Mm -hmm. uh, so I took the bus to Baguio and. Because uh, I knew already Sarada, so I dumped my luggage in uh, in Baguio. I brought a scale. Okay. Because I knew what was waiting for me. Uh -huh. So I brought a scale, put my luggage in uh, the bus. In the bus, yeah. Told them to dump it in uh, Rocky Valley. Inn, and uh, I cycled. Again to Sagada. It took one day? It took me 10 days. 10 hours. Oh, 10 hours. 10 okay. hours. That, that was fast. That, yeah, but I, I had no luggage. I had like 5 kilo luggage. Oh, it's still fast at the pump, time. I mean, and, yeah. it was a dirt road. But that was fit. I had like yeah. 50,000 kilometers in the legs. That was wow. fit. Of course, of course. And uh, and I knew the road, and but yeah, mountain. I was happy, excited, and all. And uh, I eat Sagada, and yeah, I think within two weeks, I I find a place to stay, and people welcome me, and well, 22 years after, I'm still here. <laughs> so there you go, why I'm here. Yeah, there you go. And, and you've been in Sagada, like, basically cooking croissants every Thursday <laughs> for the, for that long and you yeah. know, cooking um, a bread croissant bread uh, sausage sauce, uh, making sausages using my knowledge as a multifaceted chef so butcher pastry chef baker uh, and you were here in 2000 when I mean in Sagada there were a few restaurants like um, yeah, there was, was Cabin, restaurant and, um, yeah. There was Yogurt House, house. Um, Shamrock. Yeah. Would you say you've influenced some of the food choices? I mean, I come to Sagada and I, I'm always surprised that, for instance, here I can find stuff that sometimes I don't find in Baguio. You know, you Come have... Bontok. You cannot find butter yeah, olive oil in Bontok. You, 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 don't, you don't find good sausages. Oh, yeah, I introduced that. I introduced you, that. You don't, you don't find croissants in Bontok. No. I mean, in Baguio, it's not easy to find croissants. No. Or good ones. No. <laughs> or good croissants. Or maybe use butter. I mean, my joke is always that I come to Sagada's you know, I want some pandesal, you know, like as a Filipino, I want pandesal. There's, there's no place in Sagada that sells pandesal where every single town in the Philippines has pandesal. Here they have you know, croissants and rye whole bread. bread <laughs> and, yeah. Whole wheat bread and all of these yep. things. Yeah, I introduced all that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I was the first one to introduce it later. There was no butter when I came here. There was no olive oil when I came here. There yeah. was no whole wheat when I came here. Uh, so, even even the the recipes that are being cooked, like, of course, Log Cabin was already Log Cabin when you arrived. Yes. You know, it was the place people go for dates yep. in Sagada. Yep. Um, Alfredo yeah. was running at the time. Yeah, and um, you've... You, when when you stayed here, we went on a hike a few months uh, last month, and you've been exploring the mountains of Sagada for I don't know twenty two years. You know, essentially, what? Uh, how did you take the first step into those mountains? Like, it's not easy to. I, well, I, I can't. Mean, Im I can't imagine that was easy. Just going walking. I was doing that in Borneo. I was doing that in Malaysia. In oh, you were doing it in Palawan? Island, yes. Yeah. I was doing it in Palawan. I was doing it in uh, Sumatra. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I kind of choose Sagada because I knew I could just take my backpack and piece off. Did you even have a map at the time? No, like a no, topo there map? Was no map. There was no map. There was. All right. There were maps though. At the <laughs> of Sagada, yes, of population. Uh, no, you, you could get the topo maps of the whole mountain range, I mean, from the government. Yeah, but that came 10 years after for me. I didn't okay, have okay, access yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Steve had some of those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I got that uh, 10 years after or 8 years after or whatever. 
And throughout your travels, you've been sort of like this naturalist. Uh, around your home, I see all of these drawings of birds, insects. Mm -hmm. Was this something you studied in college? Or is this something that you just learned and sort of you, you took to heart and you started really going in depth with the, with the learning of it? Okay, there is two, there is two parts of that. One, there is the art part. So the drawing, the painting, yeah. uh, I learned that as a pastry chef. When people ask me to do whatever, the face of the wife on the cake, or okay, uh, so I learned that as a pastry chef in decoration, and uh, and then when I hit place like Sagada, I discovered that nobody ever study fauna, flora, yeah. orchid, bird, so everything has to be done, which is one of the beauty. So I just took the job, kind of, mm -hmm. or took interest because it's not a job; it's it's interest. I mean, by by far, I think. Of all the people I've met in Sagada, you know the most of the, I mean, the flora and fauna, except for maybe the hunters and the, and the people yeah, that actually go. Yeah, but they don't know the Latin name or yeah. uh, if it's only he or native or introduced. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. And because stuff was never studied. The last guy who studied uh, flora here was Father Van Unverberg in 1910 to 1913 in uh, Bauco. Mm -hmm. And at the top of that, I had the beautiful luxury of having access to Scotty's library. Mm -hmm. Right, right. William Henry Scott, yes. who is yeah. one of the foremost historians here in, in the Cordillera and Sagada, of course. Yes, and the only foreign historian in the Philippines. Uh, there are a couple the time, of others. At the time, yeah. at the time yes. At the time, yeah, yeah. He already passed when I was here, so I never met the guy. But I have access to his library and for a decade or so, I just... You just went through his Because whole... at the time, there was no cell phone, I had no TV, I still don't have a TV, but there was no internet. So it was reading, 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 and Scotty's library is a, a beautiful place. It's, a, it's sort of a treasure trove of information about Sagada and... About, yeah, Philippines, Sagada, yeah. Cordillera. But again, not bird, not snakes, not fauna, not yeah. flora. That's right. Just history. History, yeah. So I became very fluent in local history because I read all Scotty's book. I rented something like uh, 400, 450 of his book out of 3,000 or 4,000 years. Wow. So I read, 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 because I could. And uh, I was interested and he was available. So again, life put me there and it's available. I take. I mean, I take, I use it. I didn't steal the book. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I use the information. And you... You stayed, you, you came to Sagada in 2000, which was actually the first time I came to Sagada, I think, around, the, around that time as well. And you decided, this is the place I'm going to stay. You know, the first time you said you, you wanted to go to, you sort of retire in Pakistan. Uh, by circumstance, you ended up in Sagada. And which what, is the same, just which no is, snow. Yeah. It's no so, it's yeah. multi forest. And what forest. was it about, you know, Sagada itself that made you love the place, that made you. Well, there was, okay, there was a few points. I don't like cities. I love mountain. And I want to be able to go out hiking, cycling. Mm -hmm. So, Sagada is tourist. It was small. And within a half hour, you can be out there all alone. So that's all available. Was available 20 years ago. Will be available for the next decade or so. Yeah, it's still available now. So, so yeah. yeah, I still have no regret about those choices. All right. Um, all cool. <laughs> And uh, I mean, twenty years here, there must have been some problems as well. That you, of course, I, yeah. I lost money, I got ripped off, I didn't get paid here and there. The classics. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the same cycle 
again yeah. that I went through. Yeah. yeah. But this time I decided to stick to it and fuck it all, and yeah, and I think I get better mm-hmm. eventually. It's sort of acceptance. Is that is that like a yes? And when you learn to live with nothing, you get better. If you complain or you whine, you don't go anywhere. Learn to deal with the the bullshit. And of course, you don't. The bullshit doesn't exist anymore. It becomes a solution or experience, which is not that bad. So it's maturing. It's part of maturing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Or dumping the idiot side. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like uh, you found this. I would say, you know, Buddhists Buddhists talk about finding the this point where they're at peace with the world they're content themselves yeah they're, Themself. they're I'm not at peace with the world but I'm pretty sure I'm at peace with myself okay and um, there's this thing I always wanted to ask you you've lived here in Sagada for 22 years and you've not actually seen so much of the Cordillera outside of your Sagada world you know like you've well I cycled through in 2000 oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. did Baguio uh, Sagada Tabuk uh, right Alinga, right right yeah uh, Like, but the Baviskaya, Santiago. But like, for instance, um, so I went around and across. Yeah, through the roads and yes. but not. But you've sort of stayed in Sagada and sort of rediscovered more of what Sagada is. You know, like, I mean, yes. you could you could just as easily be confined to this. You know, the the space around town and and the mountains that are just nearby but yeah, then I went further you went further mm. and so I visited the first ridges all over the second ridge all over the third ridge all over we went up to Kendon with Steve and Levy and right Andrew. through Tirad Pass yeah to Tirad Pass that was 2004 or 2005 I think uh, I climbed Kalawitan twice uh, one time alone in 2001 one time with Andrew in 2004 I think mm-hmm. And so I'm bringing local people into their own place because they don't go, but I do. So of a sudden they became interested. Like, like many people in Sagana told me, "Akai, before I was here, they was they were going from village to village." Yeah. I showed them that it's very interesting to go from village to mountain. Yeah. And stay there two or three days, and then you go another mountain, and then you come back. Or you go to a village, so you find and you see different places, you experience something else, and. Uh, Yeah, I love it, and I think like, but it you don't you no longer seem to have this drive to explore more of the Philippines. You're sort of okay with Sagada. Is that is that there the, is plenty to explore about Sagada? Yeah, endlessly. I think it's so. Well, as I said before, the Cordillera. There is not much that has been studied. Uh, fauna, flora, certainly not. Uh, Nobody is interested to do it because there is no money in it. Uh, you kind of need the will, the legs, the heart, the time, the freedom, which is not that easy to find. And uh, I discovered that north of Sagara, there is that kind of area, which is, you could say, southern part of the Balbalasan National Park, which is 50 kilometers uh, north to south by 30 kilometers east to west, with nothing. There's no, no village, villages. No village, no road, no electric cable, no barbed wire, no settlement, and nobody goes there. So that's my hiking ground. And it's so big, it's one life is not enough. And I'm not getting younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, a lot of travelers, I, I, I asked that question because a lot of travelers sort of have this 
bucket list mentality. You know, you, you see this point, you see this point, this point, this I point. I never had a bucket list. And and nobody actually tends to think that I'm going to Sagada, I'm going to stay there for months or years or however long it takes to explore every nook and cranny to rediscover or whether it's Sagada or even Baguio or or Palawan not a lot of people will say okay I'm going to Palawan I'm going back to Palawan again even if I've been there before because I want to see more of Palawan um, but but more is what more places or more in depth more in depth like okay. yeah essentially that takes time yeah. that takes time it it takes time and it takes a certain kind of mentality doesn't it and will will and will, will like will. because most people will say okay I've been to this point this point this point you know people have um, a checklist. checklist. A checklist. They, you know, they put pins on the map on yep. where they've been. Yep. But then, you've basically put a pin in Sagada and put little pins all over the little, yep. the little space that is. And pushing those space further and further. Yeah, and pushing that space further and further, exploring it, yep. and even just watching you, while we walk. You know, you walk and you you always. I mean, you know, I, I've only been on one long hike with you, even though it's five days. You seem to discover these little worlds within the world. You yes. Know? Yeah. So whether it's plants, or uh, that's part of understanding, I think. Yeah. Because to okay, a point I I used to make or I like to make is when the tourists they come to Sagada, they think Sagada is green because they see green everywhere, but they cannot explain the green. I can kind of explain it. It's pine forest, mossy forest, tree fern, orchid. I have some Latin name. There is the bird. All that the tourists don't see it. Mm-hmm. They see just green. I can. I've been there. I spent some time there. So I see the life, the interaction, the development, the destruction. All that I can see. The tourists they don't. It's sort of like going from a landscape point of view to a microscope. Yes. Sort of. Right? Yes. You know, like yeah. there's there's more and more and more detail yeah. and the longer you stay there as you say you you've been here for 22 years every time you go out that detail increases you know like the magnification of what you understand of of the environment of sagada actually increases between um uh you know the new orchids that you discover i always find something new yeah there's always something new for two reasons one i look I think I understand a bit, so I can look better. And second, there is the kind of rule I mentioned to you a few days ago online. The slower you go, the more you see. Yeah. So one of the tricks is to look and don't be in a hurry. Imagine France, Philippines by airplane. You're going to see a thousand times less than France, Philippines by bicycle. That's true. That's true. Or and just, just for instance, Baguio to Sagada by car and Baguio to Sagada by bicycle. Yeah, completely different. And I made a mistake. I did it by bicycle. I understood long time ago I should have walked it. From France? From France, yes. Okay. I would have seen much more. For sure, yeah, yeah. for sure. Because if you take, uh, let's say, France-Sagada was 55,000 kilometers divided by nine years, that's something like 14 point something kilometer a day. You can walk 15 kilometers a day. That's true, yeah. That's, so that's I easy. could have walked it. I could yeah. have walked it. And I would have seen more. But I cycle it. Well, not that bad. Not that bad. Yep. Still not that bad. It's still at a sort of a human scale. So yes. Cycling is yes. still at a human scale. Yes. Unlike, unlike driving or yep. flying or train, you know, there there is that sense of scale where it's at the pace of humanity. Yes. 
and something else is by bicycle or by foot, you not only see, you smell. Right, that, that's yeah. right. The when smell. you are on a motorbike or in a car or in a bus or in a train, you are in a kind of aquarium or a box or whatever. You don't smell. And the temperature, you know, like yeah. the wind on yeah. your skin, you the weather. You are with the element. Yeah. By bicycle or by foot than in a car where you have aircon or heating, whatever. So the elements are more in your face. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that... And that's part of the trip too. Yeah. And, would and the ugliness. Would, do you keep a journal for your, like, did you keep a journal this whole... Okay, travel? when I left France, uh, again, there was no plan. Yeah. But when I took the ferry to Italy, to from Italy to Greece, because Yugoslavia was at war, of course, people asked me, hey, bicycle, luggage, where are you going? So, I don't know, China, I mean, East, yeah, who cares? <laughs> are you writing? I said, no, who gives a shit? You should write, you should write. So that's when I started having a journal. Uh-huh. So I started taking notes almost every day, but half of that was lost. The other half I never seen because I sent it back to France, but I never went back. So, yeah, so it goes. And you've accepted that. You've not tried to like, you know, get back all these notes from, from those travels. I asked my sister a few years ago to send me everything. But back in France, the two sisters I have left, they're already pissed off, I don't want to come back. So the thing, if they send me everything I've left there, I will seriously not come back. Oh, so yeah. they kind of grip to it. Okay, okay. But they have it, essentially. They, they your, have it. But they never look into it. They never open it. They've never it. read it. No. I sent tea from India and spices from Malaysia. They never opened the box, they told me. Really? Yeah. Why? So they never look at the photo. They never read the journal. So it's kind of, what the fu- why the fuck are you keeping it? And whatever. So eventually I just don't care. Life goes on. Yeah. That's the past. Yeah. Right, right. And you're you're sort of very meticulous with your notes. Uh, at least here you've recorded the weather for 20, yeah, 22 years. years. Yeah, and every day, right? You Yes, since uh, June 2001, I have uh, the weather every day. And that's probably as... Unique. Unique. <laughs> but I was doing that in Palawan already. Okay, you were doing that in Palawan. Yes. So, so your weather record can actually sort of say sort of trend how the climate here has changed yes yeah so so how has it changed in the tw- i mean I've, I've been coming here almost every year mm. for those the same amount of time you've yep. been here i've never lived here for mm. as long as i as you have but but how how has it changed like you've been recording the notes and climate change is a big deal now yes supposedly i think climate change is just a symptom but that's a different story uh, climate, my recording in Sagada is basically the weather was pretty uh, routine or every year the same. August is the most rainy month. That's normal, it hasn't changed. What did change and what is very obvious is this year and last year, heavy and long rain in March. That was never happening before. Right. So I think that's something new and that will stay, but who knows? I will see in the red record. And All the rest is pretty clockwork. The last rain uh, is first week of February. Uh, rain season starts in May, June, July, depending on the year. Typhoon, well, they are every year. I think typhoon are good for the Philippines. Yeah. In some way, otherwise you would have sort of water cleanses. problem. It's a renewal, isn't it? I think without a typhoon, you would have water problem. Yeah. So typhoon are uh, somewhat godsend, even though they are damaging and... Uh, Killing people and property and whatever. But. So, 
like now now you've lived in Sagada for 22 years you never think maybe I'll go back to France and visit. why would I do that <laughs> just to visit your sisters or no, no, no I nothing. don't miss them that much there is nothing to go back to there is nothing to go back to and um, except you know, the country where I'm born and I don't care much about it yet. not important there's nothing that you miss about France and well what I could have missed I can do it which is basically croissant cheese uh, salami uh, food that's true I can do all that yeah 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 so the rest is nah And not, not worth. And like I hope my sister doesn't listen to that. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> now that you, you've sort of. Um, but yeah. I'm in touch with them online. So it's okay. All right. So you're in touch with them, yeah. and um, you have this sort of somewhat fatalistic attitude. Like whatever will happen, will happen. Inshallah. Inshallah. Gasat. 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 I love Gasat. I love Gasat. You cannot fuck it up. I mean, you can, but I like to follow Gasat. Yeah. Let it be. And by letting it be, it will bring you somewhere which is interesting. If only because you don't refuse your, uh, your gasset. Take it, use it, learn from it. That's where I go and where I am. And it's a beauty. But you have to stand. You have to... If you refuse it, it doesn't work. You have to accept. You have to embrace it. Yeah, you have, have to, to embrace accept it. it. You have yeah. to... And like something... I think I've discussed this with you before. You go on a lot of these hikes on your own. And yeah, there's two reasons for that. It's, uh, it's a bit the same story than back in France. G-Boy told me that if, uh, last week, I think. Akla, it's not safe to go alone. You should go with other people, which I agree. But if I wait for other people to join, I will never go. Yeah. Or 90% less. Yeah. And that doesn't fit me. So I go alone. Yeah. It was the same in France when I left my bicycle. Nobody wanted to follow because I had no plan. But what if something so, happens to you out there? Is it like, You know, you just accept faith and... Uh, well, there is two kind of... Two type of shit that can happen. Uh, okay, there is a small shit which are not important. You cut your finger, yeah, you, yeah. you scratch yourself. will survive. Mm. Or you might twist an ankle. Or bend a knee or whatever. Or dislocate your shoulder. Well, then you just fix it on the spot and you come back slowly, limping, but alive. And I think I've seen and experienced enough in life that if the the real end moment arrives, well, embrace that too. Because I don't think it's the end; it's just the next stage. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't believe in death. So, but you you sort of accept that it's something that's a possibility. That yes, of happen. course. Otherwise, I would not be out there. And at the same time, it's a bit like uh, the safety belt in a car or a helmet on a motorbike or on a bicycle. It might save you if you fall down. But if a car hits you at 50 miles per hour, the helmet is not going to save your ass. Right. So I think I'm better off being prepared and being vigilant about what is happening around you because you are part of, the, of life. You are not away from it with your helmet and your safety belt in your cocoon, kind of. So... It kind of it makes it necessary for you to be aware that shit can happen. So yeah, sometimes you slow down, sometimes you turn back, sometimes you stop and think. Reassessing is part of the yeah. the, the journey, and, and that's all part of the trip, and it's yeah. not difficult to accept. Experience help. 
Of course, of course. It gets better every time, every yes, experience. Yes, you, know? yes. you get better at doing things. And shit happened, it's normal too. Yeah. Part of life. Yeah. Shit happened. I, I can ask you if you want, but yeah, same same. Course, <laughs> yeah. same. Um remember in Takpio water goes up, water goes up. Yeah, yeah. That was uh that was an experience. <laughs> I've I've had the uh, high water experience before. Um yeah, yeah. Um, but that you know that that was one sort of reminded me of you know some reminds you of your mor- mortality. Yeah, somewhat. I got flooded five times in Palawan. So. Okay, yeah. yeah. And um, so I knew about high water a bit and what to do. Yeah. And the rule number one is always the same: don't, don't panic. panic. Don't yeah. panic. Panic is gonna put you in the wrong state of mind, and you're gonna do stupid shit. So again, sit down, assess, and then decide. Yeah. Running doesn't work yeah yeah and uh rule of life don't panic how old were you when you got to Sagada do you remember 36 34, 34. okay and, and you know 36, 36. you've been here for 22 years so you're what 50 I'm 50 66 yeah. um, so months, whatever. do you think about aging like you know of course you, you go on all these adventures you've been living in a foreign country for more more years of your life at this point right um I spend more life away from France than in France, definitely, yeah. and I spend more life in Sagada than anywhere else, yeah. including France. So, so do you do you think about aging? Uh, well, aging is part of the process of life. Mm-hmm. You cannot escape it. Yeah. Uh, you, I do believe that you can be a part of it, or you can go against it. I think understanding it and using it, aging is not that bad. Understanding that eventually we'll have to slow down. Yes, but that doesn't mean you have to stop. Yeah. Just slow down. It gives you more time to look at stuff. Just go a little more, slower. Yeah, more take more time to get to Wasau. Yes, instead of doing it in five hours, you do it in seven. So what? You're going to see more orchid, more birds. And do you ever think that at some point you're going to have to stop all of these adventuring? Well, uh, at middle 50, I kind of believe or hope that physically I should be able to do that on my own, carrying my own shit up to middle 60s. Mm-hmm. Gasat, willing. <laughs> and uh, and then the rest is life. Maybe I'm dead in two months. Who cares? And who gives a shit anyway? So. <laughs> and what about all not of important, these things? Not important. Like, these things will be left behind when you... <laughs> you yeah, know, all of this work. The everybody leaves something behind. Yeah. And do you, do you want When we come here, we have a free planet, a free body, and we spend our life fucking it up and living with nothing. Well, I leave maps and drawings yeah. and people can enjoy it, keep it or burn it. But the body of work that you've it's created, really, it's important. a lot. Like, um, just the weather, 22 years of weather. Well, somebody can keep it. Yeah. The Nobody ever came all your notes, and was interested, which um, is another interesting point. I'm interested, you know. I'm, I'm outsider, but no <laughs> local people is interested in my list of orchid, bird, uh, whatever. Yeah, you have all these notes. It's so much data, so much information. And same with Cody. He has nothing yeah. to do with me. Or with Father Van Verberg in Bauco. Yeah. The local people don't care. For but whatever you, reason. Don't you ever think that maybe you should put in your will that it be donated to, let's say, the I University no of the will. Philippines? I have no will. I don't think I will have one because once you're dead, they still can do what the fuck they want. That's true. That's true. So but what's you, the point? don't you ever think that you'd like someone to read your work or it be kept to be read at some point? 
or be yeah, seen. One of my ideas over the year is okay, all that shit when I die, let's give it to a school. Yeah, yeah. Be it Central School or St. Marie, I don't care. Yeah. They are not interested. Well, there's, there's, um, so, you know, there's places like the University of the Philippines, they have a Cordillera Study Center. Yeah. I'm sure they would be interested to take all your They work. can have it. Yeah. But I don't, don't, I don't think the local people will give it to them. So. That, unfortunately, that's the problem. Same with Scotty. Scotty's yeah. book, they wanted to share it with Baguio. They never got the authorization. So, yeah. Well, for me, I mean, with me, they don't need the authorization. Yeah. I don't think they will. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason. But unless you put it in your will, maybe. Even <laughs> that, I have nothing <laughs> to say. After you're dead, they yeah. can burn the wheel or ah, give true. a shit or nothing. That's true. And... Um, you know, after living 22 years in Sagada, what's what sort of the maybe one of the things that you've learned for yourself? You know, like for don't, your don't give up, don't give up. <laughs> That's it. Just live. Don't give up. Yeah, live, live, live. That's one of the problem of the modern world and the modern human. We are so afraid of death, and that was not helped by COVID, that we forget to live. Live, live. Embrace life. Shit happen. Cool. Learn from it, keep on going. Yeah. All right. Staying at home, being afraid of this and that is not a life. It's gone, gone. You may break a knee, bang a toe, lose a nail. So what? Right. It's right. not the end of the world. Yeah? Well, I think this is a good place to end our, now, yeah. our conversation for yeah. now. Well, I'm sure there's more <laughs> of that where it, Plenty. Came, where it comes from. Plenty. Uh, thank you so much, Aklai, for... Uh, this afternoon, you know, this yeah. whole storytelling session of ours, You're and welcome. Uh, I look forward to more of this. And uh, yeah. thank you for sharing it with the listeners of the Wildcast. Yep. Okay. You're welcome, and sorry for my voice. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. All the best. There we go. That was the life of a Clay. Um, what did you think? Maybe let me know if you've listened to this podcast and this episode in particular and the last episode as well with Kido and Paco about traveling. You know, I mean, Akla is such a different kind of traveler from most people. I would say he's the 1% of travelers, you know, someone who is willing to let everything go, leave everything behind, friends, family, love, uh, and find a new home. Uh, elsewhere, you know, uh, not in the place you've grown up in, not in the place you've grown accustomed to. So, I mean, it's such an interesting conversation. It's so long. I mean, this is such a, the conversation is actually probably not enough. Uh, we could probably fill maybe three or four hours with his stories. And there's so much more, so much more there uh, to talk about, to really flesh through. Uh, but one thing that sort of got me is really it's the letting go of um, in a way it's actually letting go of dreams you know letting go of all of these uh, goals in life and being content uh, Aklai is really content where he is now I mean he's not the richest person in the world he cooks croissants every Thursday he cooks for people in Sagada when he can he makes enough money to live and you know, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. You don't need to be rich. Um, one of the things I've always strived for is this concept of steady state development. It's not a very common concept. It's called steady state, you know. Uh, be content with where you are. Growth is sometimes it's not necessary. 
it's just where you are now and being content with that you know mediocrity of course Aklai is not a mediocre person but uh, but really it's it's about staying where you are being content finding life where you are you know exploring more of where you are it's it's such a radical concept and uh, of course leaving everything behind that wow, that is just for me it's mind-blowing as a Filipino who is so connected to family as a Nigarot who is connected to community it's a it's such a different worldview uh, whether it's bad or good it depends on your own personal experience but then here we are Aklai shows us a different path you know to what I would call enlightenment and uh, thank you everyone for of course following the podcast listening and sharing the Wildcast podcast and all of our guests from the very first to now you know this episode of the Wildcast podcast with Aklai and of course if you can support us please do um, you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and uh, buy us coffees just to help us continue um, bringing you these interesting conversations with uh, interesting people from all over the world. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode of the Wildcast Podcast.